Well, amen. He first loved us. Amen. Grab your Bible. and might turn over to Malachi tonight. Malachi chapter number 2 this evening. Malachi chapter number 2. We'll look at a thought from here tonight. Malachi chapter number 2. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm in church tonight. You all seem a little lethargic tonight, but it might be just because you're tired. So I'll do my best not to put you to sleep. Amen. And then we'll run for just a little bit. Sunday, the, uh, I was gone on Sunday. It was kind of unexpected. I was planning on being back on Sunday. And then, um, you know, when your kid gets married, you just want to, I, like, I felt like it was my last time uh, with him and for him. I know it sounds crazy, but it's not just because we're moving to North Carolina. You know, when you get married, you have a whole different life. And uh, it's not like I can say, come home. <laughs> so, so anyway, I felt like he had a need that I could fill. And so I uh, drove to Atlanta, Georgia. I was trying to think where I was at. Atlanta, Georgia to help them uh, get off for their honeymoon and did a couple things there for them and then got on the road. So I was, uh, did a round robin on Sunday morning. I was in Jackson, Tennessee, and then Sunday night I was in Rome, Georgia, and then um, I hit the casinos at both those places. And then uh, actually churches in those places. And then Sunday, or then Monday, I was uh, there to get them off and then made the mad dash home, got home at 5.15 the next morning. So it was a long trip, but it was good. But anyway... You know, you have you guys that have kids and they're grown and gone, and you that have smaller children, your mindset changes as they get older because your time with them is is getting shorter. And uh, you know, Sam, how many you got kids all under what? What are your kids under? Five. So, you know, right now you're gonna. Okay, thank you, Katie. I'll ask you next time, not him. So when they're that age, you just think, okay, I've got time. But I want to tell you something. When they get to those years and they start getting married, it's like, where did the time go? And I've got to make sure I take the last few moments together with them. And so that's why I changed plans just again to be there for Samuel. So anyway, I'm going to miss him, but I'm happy. I, th- I feel like he's in God's will. I feel like he's married in God's will, and, and I'm happy for them. And, so, you know, you just let go and you just go on. And I still have several more at home, praise the Lord. And uh, so Susanna's going to leave when she's 30. And so... And keep her around, amen. So, but anyway, the rest of them, uh, I know that's going to go quickly. Malachi uh, chapter 2 is where we're at tonight. I want to look at something with you. I'm going to have to walk through this with you. But uh, again, church family, I'd like to pray first. And again, I don't want you to sleep. I want you to ask the Lord uh, what he has for us tonight. Church family, look at me for a second here. Many of you worked all day long and you're tired. And you did the right thing by coming to church tonight. Some of you didn't even have supper tonight because you came straight to church. You'd be ashamed to do all that. And then the Lord not speak to you. So... In these short minutes that we have together, I want, to, I want the Lord to feed us tonight. So if you're going to ask the Lord to help you tonight. Father, thank you again for the power of your word. Lord, every time we read it, every time we hear it preached, amazing, Lord, we, we can't comprehend. You said it was quick and powerful, but so often those are just words to us. And Father, it, they, it is quick. And Lord, help us to understand the power of your word. Help us to understand what it does in our hearts and lives. Lord, that young person that's two, three, four, five, as they sit sometimes in a service, Lord, may we understand that your, your word is powerful. And Lord, show us tonight what it can do in a child's life as well as an adult's life. Give us now again wisdom and the words to say tonight. May you be honored. And Father, lift it up. Thank you again for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, man, before I, I'm going to kind of walk through tonight, instead of going to the text tonight like I normally do, I'm going to just kind of hit a couple of verses to understand. Malachi was one of the last, obviously one of the last prophets as far as after the post-captivity. You know, you understand the Old Testament. You understand children of Israel going into captivity. You also understand that they were there for 70 years. At the end of the 70 years, God let them go back. We understand that through Ezra, the temple was rebuilt. We understand that through, through Nehemiah, the walls were rebuilt. But it was during those times that there were certain uh, we would consider minor prophets like Malachi and Haggai because their books are shorter, but those prophets that would get up and they would speak and they would remind them. 
hey, listen, I want to remind you what your forefathers went into captivity for and the things that you should be doing and uh, so that that doesn't happen again. And so Malachi is one of those prophets that is preaching what God's heart was for them. And so let me just read a couple of verses, verse number one of chapter one, verse number one of chapter one, the burden of the word of the Lord. Now, let me just stop for a second here. This was God's burden for his people. I want to tell you something. God loves you. He's got a burden for you as well. I don't understand how the God of heaven who can create the universe can think about us who's a speck on this earth that he cares about what's going on in our lives. But I'm telling you, just what's just like he had a burden for Israel. He's got a burden for us. And he says this, he says again, verse number one, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So this is God's burden to Israel. This is what God's speaking. And he's giving it through Malachi. Malachi's preaching it. But church, I'm going to go to chapter number two, look at verse number one now. Chapter two, verse number one says, and now, O ye priest, this commandment is for you. Now that's pretty direct. God says, and listen, I've talked to the people. Now I want to talk to the priest. And he says, what, this commandment, not just words or statements. He says, what I'm about to tell you, these commandments, priests, this is for you specifically. All right. Look what he says next now in verse number two. If ye, talking to the priest, verse number two, chapter two, if ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, he says, I will even send a curse upon you. He says, and I will curse your blessings. Now, I, I always like to underline my Bible when it says, if ye, and I always like to underline then or I will. In this situation, it's I will. But verse two, verse two, the beginning says, if ye will not hear, verse number two, in the middle of the verse, I will even send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Now, church family, I think that the uh, blessings there were the tithes, to be honest with you. Because in chapter number three, verse number nine, he says, wherein have ye robbed me, chapter three, verse nine, wherein have ye robbed me in tithes and offerings? And he says, God says, I'm going to curse you because of that. And I think that if you think about in the Old Testament, the tithes were not always money. It was the crops. It was things that they would bring uh, to the priest. In other words, so the priest did not have what they physically need, needed because God cursed the people because of not giving their tithes. And of course, the priest here, he's telling them he's going to curse their blessing. Look what he says next here. He says, uh, yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. All right. Verse number two, the first part, he says, if, if you lay it to heart. And God says, well, you haven't. Verse number three, behold, I will corrupt your seed, talking about your children, and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, the tribe of Levi, with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Then he mentions that again, the two words, verse, verse five, my covenant was with him of life and peace. And I gave them, gave them to him for the fear with, wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Now, church family, next to verse number four and five, I wrote in my Bible the word Phineas and then Numbers 25, verses 10 through 13, because that was the covenant. Look back again, verse number four again. And ye shall know that I have sent this covenant unto you that my, uh, I'm sorry, forgive me. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace. Now, church, I mean, we understand the word covenant means a solemn promise. God made a promise to the tribe of Levi. Now, in order to understand what we're going to preach tonight, I need you to see the promise, all right? So if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25, and let's look at the promise in verse number 10. Numbers chapter 25, verse number 10. If you're with me tonight, say amen. All right, praise the Lord. Numbers chapter 25, look at verse number 10. Just me, the story here in verses 1 through 18 is when Phineas takes that spear and he shoves it through um, one of the Israelites as well as the Midianite woman because they uh, were disobeying God. And of course, uh, we, uh, without getting into the whole story, remember Balaam, he couldn't curse Israel. So he told, he told the king, um, 
told the king of Moab, or, I'm sorry, the king of Midian and said, hey, listen, what you need to do is get Israel to sin and then let God punish them. So that's exactly what they did. These Moabite women uh, go in and they tried, they seduced them. Look at verse number one, chapter 25, and Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods and the people did eat and bowed down their God, to their gods. Verse three, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one his, man, his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. They'd gone into the, um, to these Moabites. They weren't supposed to do that. Went to their false gods. Verse six, and behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianite-ish woman in the sight of Moses. Now, church, I mean, think about how brazen this is for just a moment. God's already upset with the children of Israel and, and God says, hey, listen, you're not supposed to be serving their gods. You're not supposed to even be with these, the, these um, Moabite-ish women who were taken away from God. And now one of the Israelites in the midst of the congregation brings the Midianite-ish woman to uh, in front of Moses. Look what happens next now in, in verse number six. It says, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse seven, and when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Isn't he your kind of guy, man? Grab a weapon, ready to go kill him. Verse eight, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were how many? 20, very good, 24,000, verse 9. Now look at verse number 10. Here's the promise. It's only three. I'll just read 10, 10 through 13 here. But here's the promise. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Verse 12, Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my, what's the word? Covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seed after him. That be the Levites even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now, church, remember, look at verse 12 again. Wherefore, ye, wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. Now go back to Malachi and you'll notice that same phrase is mentioned um, in verse number five. My covenant was with him of life and peace. All right, and I give and I gave to them. Now go back to Malachi 2, look at verse five again. My covenant was with him of life and peace. Let's stop for just a moment because I'm about to give the thought tonight and I wanna make sure we catch our brain up to where we're at, all right? <clears throat> I want you to think about what's going on here is that God is talking to specifically the priests. And as he's talking to the priests, these are the priests, now remember, they'd been in captivity for 70 years. They came back to Jerusalem and they set up temple worship again. And Malachi is the prophet and he's preaching to them. And he's saying, hey, listen, priest, you're not doing right. You're not doing what God intended for you to do. God made a promise to you as a covenant. He said he made that covenant with you and it's a covenant of life and peace. And the priest, because of their wrongdoing, was going to lose not the, not the covenant, but the blessings that came with that covenant. All right. Now, with all that said, don't miss what happens next. Look at verse number five. Here's the thought. My covenant was with him of life and peace and I gave them to him. That was Phineas specifically, but the Levite tribe. And I gave them to him... What's that next three-letter word? All right. For the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Now, church, let me think for just a second here. <clears throat> Who's the person that the Bible says <clears throat> they, he feared God? Who's it really talking about here? All right. I think it's talking about Phineas. All right. He said the tri tribe of Levi 
is represented by a man named Phineas that got the covenant of peace. And the reason he got that covenant of peace because he was zealous for God. Here these people were sinning in, in the midst of the congregation and right in front of Moses as if to flaunt their sin. And Phineas grabs a spear and says, I'm going to take care of this because God's not happy with this. And I fear God more than I fear you. And he goes and kills them. All right. Now, that's not a command for us to go killing people. But what he did, God was very pleased with because of his fear of God. All right. Now, here's the thought. Let's look at your Bible and we'll, we'll preach for just a couple minutes here. Verse number five, and it says, my covenant was with him of life and peace and I gave them to him. And the reason God gave them to him was for or because for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Verse number six has four things and they're very clear here, which was the evidence that Phineas feared God. I want to talk to you in a few moments tonight on that thought, evidence that you fear God evidence that you fear God. I think the things you're going to see in verse number six are very clear that these four things is what was, what showed that Phineas feared God and God gave him a covenant of peace. God says, okay, I'm going to bless you because you fear me. All right. Now you all already looking ahead. I'm glad you are as far as what those four things are. If you do that, we're done. I don't, I can just go, we can all go home. Amen. All right. I want you to think for just a moment here. Do you fear God? You know, we, we talk about the fear of the Lord, and I want to tell you, Proverbs is full of the blessings that come with fearing God. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. That's quite the blessing, all righty? By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That's a pretty good blessing. I'm just telling you that if we would understand that what God says, he gives strong confidence, he gives satisfaction, we could go all the way down all the verses about fearing God. There are great blessings that come with fearing God. We are living in a society of people who do not fear God. Church, I want to tell you, we live, in a, we live among Christianity to people who don't fear God. All right. Hey, the reason people can, uh, can get so um, belligerent to authority is because they've never really recognized God's authority in their life. Policemen today, the way they're treated is unbelievable. All right. And, and I know they've been painted such a bad picture because of a few bad deeds. But I want to tell you something. That's not the case. God's given us uh, authorities like that, civil authority to be protection. Romans chapter 13, we understand that. But I want to tell you something, it goes all the way back to the home and then it comes outside that to government and then it comes out to the church where people, when it comes to authority, I'll just do my own thing. You're not going to tell me what to do. You know what the problem is? The problem is they've never had a proper fear of God because when you've got a proper uh, respect of God's authority, then you can have a proper respect to man authority. It always, it always starts with God. I mean, the definition of fearing the Lord, I know there's lots of definitions, but if I was kind of just put in a nutshell, I would look at fear of God as really is a proper awe and respect of God that causes me to be afraid of him. Listen, I come from a home that uh, dad was a strong disciplinarian. And I want to tell you something, kids don't even know what strong disciplinarian is when we say those kind of statements, okay? I want to tell you, we're this close to stop spanking in the school, all right? And God's been very gracious to us, but I want to tell you something, our kids do not remember. They don't understand what strong disciplinarian is. When the public school used to spank children. Amen. How many of you ever heard the statement before from a, from a parent, or maybe your parent has said it before? If you say that again, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. You ever heard that statement before? Okay, well, I want to just tell you something. My dad didn't just say it, he did it. I remember going to the bathroom and taking a bar of soap and rubbing my teeth with that soap and me tasting the soap. Okay, now if, if you do that today, oh man, alive, you're abusing your child. I'm just trying to say, kids today have no idea what strong disciplinarian is. They don't have any idea. 
But, and you know, I'm going to tell you something. Because our kids do not have strong discipline in the home, what has happened is they've lost their proper awe and respect of God. You know, we can say all we want about our parents. And you guys that are my age and around my age and older, you remember the day that your mom and dad spanked you. And they spanked you till you cried. And you never even had a thought to go get on a phone and call some government agency because you know that before they got there, you'd be dead anyway. (laughs) This is crazy. This is foolishness, the thinking of people today of what it is. And it's not, it's not right. But I'm just trying to tell you because we, as I'm going to say we, humanity, because as in humanity, we have created the rights of the people. We've created this thing in our children's life that they, you know, they, they can do their own thing. They don't have a proper fear of God. Church family, everything is a delegated, a delegated authority. It's not the pastor or the father in the home or the policeman that, that pulls you over. That's not the issue. The issue is, do I have a proper respect of God that causes me to have a proper respect to man? That's all it is. So tonight I ask you, do you have a fear of God tonight? Do you have a proper awe and respect that causes you to fear what he'll do to you if you don't do right? Do you have that tonight? I think if you look in just a moment as we look at verse number six, the evidence of whether or not you fear God or not, if you just answer the four questions, I think you figure out I, I either do or I don't. I talk about from the pulpit that I make sure that my tithe and offering is in and Brother Flowers shows up at my office if it's not in. And it, and it irritates him when he has to come find me. I mean, he doesn't say it, but I can read his face, amen. And there are times that on a Sunday, I won't have my offering in there. And I, and I want him to come because you know why I want him to come? I don't care if he gets mad at me. I don't want God mad at me. Amen. There's a fear there. There's a proper awe and respect that God knows if everything that's going on in my life and I want to I make sure I do what he wants me to do. Now, church family tonight, can I just tell you, all of us ought to have that same awe and respect of God that we fear what he'll do to us if we don't. Now, tonight, let's go to these four things and we'll be done tonight. In verse number, um, I'm going to read one more time, verse number five, and then we'll jump right into verse six. My covenant was with him, talking about Phineas in the tribe of Levi. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him. In other words, I gave the covenant to him. I gave life and peace to him because for the fear wherewith he feared me. In other words, he had a proper fear of God, and he was afraid before my name. Verse number six, what was the evidence of that fear? The law of truth was in his mouth. What was the evidence of that fear? Iniquity was not found in his lips. What was the evidence of that fear? He walked with me in peace and equity. What was the evidence of that fear? He did not, I'm sorry, and did turn many away from iniquity. Now, I want to look at those four things tonight. And I want you to ponder in your own heart tonight, do I have a proper fear of God? If I was put on trial for my fear of God, would would there be these evidences that show, I fear God. And the reason I know that I fear God is because the same things that Phineas and the tribe of Levi did is the same things that are evident in my life. Church, I mean, what was the, what was the tribe of Levi? Look, look at your Bible again. Verse number seven. I'm going to come right back to those four things. Verse number seven. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. Why? For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Church family. What are you and I but messengers of the Lord of hosts? You say, Pastor, we're, we're not priests in that sense. I agree with you 100% because the priests were taken away after the blood of Jesus Christ was shed upon the cross. We talk about the priesthood of believer having direct access to God. By the way, all of us are priests. 
In fact, it's mentioned twice in Revelation, and I'll just read one of them to you. But twice in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, I'll do 520, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. In other words, we were made priests by, by us being saved. The, the blood of Jesus Christ was, was shed. We have now direct access to God. What, what's the picture of that? It was the Holy of Holies. The priest would go in once a year with the blood, and he would come from, on that day of atonement. What happened when Jesus Christ died? The veil was rent from top to bottom, not bottom to top. If it was bottom to top, man, man would have tore the veil. It was top to bottom, God tore the veil, which now because of salvation, I'm the priest that comes into the Holy of Holies and I've got direct access to God. Church, I mean, God speaks to us when we open the book. God speaks to us when we have our prayer time and devotion. God speaks to us when we come to a church. God, I want you, God does that. Why? Because all of us have direct access to God. The youngest child in here has the same amount of access as the oldest person in here. What does he tell us in the book of Peter? You know, to turn there, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, when I was called out of darkness and I got saved, that's when I became a priest. All I'm trying to get you to see tonight is what's mentioned in the Old Testament about the priest is a perfect parallel for us today as New Testament Christians. Why? I'm a priest. What are you? You're a priest. How, how am I a priest? You're saved. So what is the evidence that I have a proper fear of God? How many times do I say that when you wake up in the morning, our first thought should not be breakfast, our first thought should be him? What is that? It's a proper fear of God. It's a God consciousness that God's doing something in my life. All right. Let's go ahead and look at these four things together. Number one, in evidence, verse number six, it says the law of truth was in his mouth. The law of truth was in his mouth. All right, two plus two equals four, church family. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. I'm sorry, the first part, sanctify them to thy truth. Thy word is truth. All right, so church family, we understand that when it talks about the law of truth, it's talking about the word of God. I think we're in agreement here. The law of truth is the word of God. Do you know what caused them to have a proper, uh, or I should say evidence, proper fear of God, but the evidence of their fear of God was because the law of truth was in their mouth. Church family, I'm telling you things that you already know, but remember what the Bible says? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? Matthew 12, 34. In other words, to get God's word in your mouth, it has to get to your heart. Can I tell you what caused you to have a proper fear of God or shows the evidence that you fear God is that you put the book in your mouth. And the only way it gets to your mouth is put in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The evidence of fearing God is that the Bible is in your mouth. Listen, we're, we're living in such a uh, politically correct day today that Christians don't want to talk about anything spiritual because of what people are going to think about them. Guess what? That's not a fear of God. That's fear of man. A fear of God says, I'm going to have God's word in my mouth. And by the way, that's a, that's a, a host of ways. Remember what 1 Peter tells us, in, I think it's chapter number 3. Let me quickly look here. 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give a what? Answer. We should not be ashamed to talk about spiritual things. Goodness gracious. You know, it's one thing that a person gets kind of um, quiet when they're at work because you're around a bunch of lost people and you're the minority. But how come we can't talk about spiritual things in our home? How come we can't talk about spiritual things amongst Christians or at church? I'm just trying to tell you that a proper fear of God or an evidence of that is that God's words in our mouth, I'm not afraid to say it. 
I believe the book is his word. God said it. By the way, we say it from the pulpit, but you can say it from the pew. You can't get upset with me. God's the one that said it. This is his word. And we ought to put it in our mouth. And again, how do we do that? We memorize the word of God. We read the word of God. We cannot help but speak the things which we have seen. And the more you read the Bible, the more you pray, and the more you listen to it preached to you, what does that do? It puts it in your heart so that it's in your mouth. It's what we talk about. It's what we, it's what we say. I think the reason a lot of times that the farthest thing from a person's mind about spiritual things is because they're not putting spiritual things in. We've got to put the book in to get the book out. Phineas spoke the truth. Can you think about this? Uh, I'll just do, we'll try your memory. You, we read it a few moments ago. How many people died because of the plague that God had put upon the children of Israel? How many people? Numbers, 24,000. I want to tell you what that means to me. <clears throat> Earlier in the chapter, Moses said, go kill these guys and start with the heads. Now, there, he wasn't talking about the head physically on the body. He was talking about the people in leadership. He said, start with the head, start with the leadership, start with the people who are, that were older and they knew better. You, you take them first and, and put them up. Now, just let me think about that. 24,000 people died. Phineas is one person. 24,000 people died because of the plague that God put upon them because they didn't do right. I want to just tell you, Phineas, he spoke what he was supposed to regardless of what everybody else was going to say or do. He had 24,000 people against him before they died, by the way. But he was willing to stand. Just read, take the book, obey the book, believe the book, and share the book. We don't have to be ashamed of the word of God. And again, if you do that, again, it just is evidence that you fear God. Look at the next thing quickly with me, verse number six again. He says, the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. Iniquity was not found in his lips. We understand that according to the, uh, Matthew, that at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. We understand that what we say is not just idle words because, well, only one person heard it. No, God heard it. Uh, you know, I like what the psalmist said, Psalm 141.3, and I think it's something, I think it should be one of our prayers that we pray. In Psalm 141.3, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. In other words, the word keep there means to guard. God put centennials there, put guards, put watchmen to make sure a fool uttereth what? All his mind. But a wise man keepeth it until afterwards, Proverbs 29.11. We need to make sure that God, I don't just let anything come out. Why should we be careful about what we say? Because we fear God. Just a minute. oftentimes we are careful what we say because of people, what they will think about us or what kind of trouble we'll get if we say certain things. But that's really not our thinking. Follow me now. That's not really the kind of thinking a Christian ought to have. The kind of thinking we ought to, ought to have is, I can't say that. I can't have iniquity in my lips. I cannot say things that would be dishonoring to God because I fear him. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own ways? God sees and hears everything. The, th the things that these people try to type into their social media, these things they try to type into their phone that they think are only going to one person. Church, I want to tell you something. That is the craziest thing in the world. Listen, young people, anything you type in can be brought back out. I was talking to Brother Bob Gray Jr. And, uh, when he was preaching here, and I said, uh, I, we were sharing ideas with one another. And, 
some of you probably have already had this. I was sharing, talking to my wife today. He shared, showed me a thing called Grammarly. All right, that doesn't mean much to you, but you know, I, I do a lot of writing and everybody has to fix everything I write. But uh, I'm pretty impressed so far. It's a little app, it was free. But it, after, when I get done writing, uh, whether it's a Sunday school lesson or in my journal, it'll take me back to things that might not either be spelled right or not, an apostrophe or something like that. I knew anyway, I like that. So I shared one with him. I, I said, hey, if you haven't done this, I'm just telling you it's a game changer. I said, uh, you need a journal. He said, what? I said, and so I told, I told him the app to use. And so he sent me the next day and he journaled his first uh, thing. But I told him, I said, listen, if you're going to journal, just, you can do what you want. But if you're going to journal, you never write anything down that you don't want everybody else to read. Even if it's your own personal, because after you're dead, someone's going to read it. Can I just tell you, I, that's, how I, that's how I think. I don't type anything in that I'm not willing for somebody else to read. When it comes to journaling, I, I, I'm really careful about that. If, if, you, if anybody was to pick up one of these books from years gone by of, of, of journaling, it won't matter whether I'm dead or not. There's not going to be anything bad in those. There's not going to be anything I was hoping you wouldn't know about. Do you understand God sees it all. God hears it all. God knows it all. So when we say things uh, or type things or text things or whatever, however it is, God says, hey, that's, that's written down, that's remembered, and it's going to be brought up at the day of judgment. 1 Peter 3.10 says this, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil in his lips that they speak no guile. You know... There are certain sins that I have to go to the Lord to on a regular basis. And I, I, you don't need to know what all those sins are, right? But every morning when I get to, if, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive us our debts. Forgive me. Model prayer. Whenever I, every morning come to that, uh, forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors. There are certain things almost on a regular basis that I have to ask God to help me with. And I want to tell you what one of them is. God, help me not to be critical. Help me not to be negative. Guard my tongue today that I don't say something that you would not be pleased with. Trisha, have you ever thought about this? Out of the four things that he could talk about an entire tribe, he says these are the four things that the priests, the ones that stood before the congregation, that ministered to the house of God, these are the four things that he said, this is what proved that they fear me. He says, first of all, they put God's word in their, in their mouth, which means they put it in their heart, so that it would come out their lips. He said the second thing is that they would not allow iniquity to come out their lips. They were careful about what they say. Listen to me, Christian. You ought to be careful about what you say. Oh, it's just my brother or sister. No, it's not just your brother or sister. There's a God in heaven that's watching everything that you say. When you become critical or negative uh, in the home or even in a church setting or even at work. I want to tell you something. I know there's guys at work that are just idiots, okay? I don't know what idiots you work with, but I'm just telling you, every job has them. I mean, except at the church. There's no idiots here, but... And I want to tell you, it is so easy to look at the bad in people instead of the good in people. And so what happens is we want to expound on the bad instead of the good. And I want to say one more statement here. One of the biggest parts of our humanity that causes, I'm talking about our sinful nature. One of the biggest parts of our sinful nature that causes us to do that is because we're comparing people to us. And since we're the standard and they're doing something that I would not do, I want to emphasize the bad in that particular person. Watch me tonight. God hears that. God hears that. You say, why is that important? I want to tell you why it's important. Do you fear God? How does that parallel with fearing God? I want to tell you how it parallels. Because the next time you want to say something bad about a person, guess who you're going to think about before you say it? 
a proper awe and respect the fear of God is that if I say what I'm about to say, God's not going to be very happy with me. What do you mean? Do you, you know, there's certain times in our lives, uh, throughout our life, that we remember certain things about life. I was with, um, I don't remember who I was with now. But anyway, I was remembering just a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, but I was telling them what my dad told me before my brother, with my brother and I, we were about 18, 17, 18 years old. And my dad told my brother, I've never forgotten. I don't even know why he said it, but he said, Scott and Dave, David Scott, he says, I wish I'd have taught you guys better on finances. Now, I don't know why, but I remember that. Uh, dad said a lot of things in life, but I don't know why I remember that one, but that one was like a plateau in my life. I wish I'd have spent more time teaching you about finances. There are certain things in our life that kind of just stand out and that you remember. Can I, can I, I was just thinking about, you know, our lives that sometimes we say things, but we can't take those things back. What are those things in your life that you remember that you wish you could take back? Can I just tell you, God remembers those and every other one. Sometimes we just remember the, the times that, you know, I lost my temper and I exploded. I want to just tell you something. Sometimes it's not, it's not a matter of losing your temper. It's a matter of that cutting statement. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Sometimes it's not a matter of losing your temper. It's just a matter of how you said something. It's, a, it's what you said. Now, can I just follow me? A proper fear of God. God, I, I want to make sure I say the right thing because I'm, I fear God. I'm afraid of what he's going to do to me. All that to say, I told you about the time that I was smoke, or I didn't smoke, I'm sorry. The time I was tempted to smoke, all right? I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. The only thing that kept me from taking that cigarette was the thought in my mind, my dad's going to kill me if I do that. Church, I mean, sometimes it's healthy for you that before you say something, think about, I can't say that. Not that the father's going to kill you, but the father's not going to be pleased with you. All right? Quickly, here's the third one tonight. The first one that we see here is this, an evidence of fearing the Lord is the law of truth was in their mouth. Second of all is that iniquity is not found in their lips. Third of all, verse number six, look what he says here. And I'm looking, keying on the first part of the phrase there, he walked with me. But it says, he walked with me in peace and equity. But I want you to notice that phrase, he walked with me. Church family, there are only three people in Scripture the Bible says they walked with God, specifically. All righty? You know the first one. Say it. Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not. Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. The second one was Noah. Very, very interesting. It says he was just. But one of the qualities of Noah's life was is that it says he walked with God. Levi, Phineas specifically, is the only other person the Bible says they walked with me. Can I tell you, it's this idea of get up tomorrow morning and spend time in prayer and read your Bible. It's not just about a habit. It's a matter of about fearing God. Amen. What causes me to get up and read my Bible? Listen, I don't know how you are, but there are some mornings they get out of whack without you trying. In other words, something comes up or somebody calls at the last minute and you had to take a phone call and that phone call lasted 20 minutes, but it took 20 minutes out of your Bible reading time. Have you ever had to leave the house after before having all your devotions done? Have you ever had those days that, you know, the unexpected happens and then it, in, the, in the back of your mind, it's like it's playing catch up all morning long or, or afternoon until you can finally stop. I mean, it's like, it's like leaving the house and you barely got to your prayer time, but you've read no scripture and yet you're going to have to be with people before, before being with God. It bo doesn't it bother you? I mean, like, Okay, God, I know I'm going to say something because I haven't spent time with you like I should have. Would you please help me through this thing? And you're, you're looking for minutes just to, to read your, either your devotions or a proverb or a revelation. You're finding 
because I'm, I, I didn't get that time. Just I mean, devotions is a matter of fearing God. I fear him. That's why I want to walk with him. He said, listen, uh, the tribe here, the tribe of Levi, he says, the evidence or the proof that showed that they feared me was simple. It's that they walked with me. Church family, if you have no fear of God, you'll have no prayer. If you have no fear of God, you're going to have no Bible reading. There's something about walking with God. It's, it's birthed out of, I know if I don't, he's not happy with me. Church family, um, all parents' demeanors are different, but I don't know about you, but have you ever had it where your parents were not mad at you, but you knew they weren't happy with you? I'm going to say that statement again, just collect your thought here. Have you ever had it where your parents were not, I'm talking, even as a child, your parents were not mad at you, but you knew they weren't happy with you? Can I just tell you that's how it is with God? When we do not have our devotions, I don't think God's mad at us, but he's not happy with us. You know why? Because we're not wanting to spend time with him. Uh, Samuel and Lydia went on, got uh, married, and then they went wherever they were going. I, don't, I didn't catch up. I didn't keep track of all that. I just knew I was supposed to meet them in Atlanta and uh, somewhere close to the airport. I was trying to take care of their, his car because he was gone for 10 days as far as making sure all that was taken care of. And to be honest with you, he's not going to come back, so I don't, you don't say anything. I wanted to see Samuel again one last time. And I might see him again. They might come here. I don't know when it's going to happen next, but I know my days are going to be few for him. So I just wanted to see him. So I was willing to drive, you know, the hours and do whatever I had to do. But I just want to see him again. But in the back of my mind, I wondered if he would want to see me. You say, what do you mean? Because he just got married. Who wants to see their parents after you just get married? And I was prepared mentally. I was going to drive all that way and he wouldn't want to really want to see me because obviously he wants to be with his wife. When I arrived, I arrived before he did. When he walked in the door, I was at a hotel. When he walked in the door, first thing he did is came to me and hugged me. I can't tell you what that did for me. I knew he wasn't interested in seeing me. But he sure acted like he was. <laughs> Can I tell you, your heavenly father just wants to know that you want to see him. Amen. That's what he wants. And I want to tell you, when you have a proper fear of God, you get up and have your devotions in the morning. Spend time with him. All right, last but not least, and I'm done tonight. Back to your Bible, look at verse number six again. Read the whole thing. The law of truth was in his mouth. Number one, iniquity was not found in his lips. Number two, he walked with me in peace and equity. Number three, and did turn many away from iniquity. Just remember again, going back to verse number five, for the fear wherewith he feared me. I think verse number six are all the proofs that showed Phineas feared God more than he feared man. And the last thing that God says, which to me really parallels with the story back in number seven or 25, was that he would turn away many from their iniquity. Now, church, I mean, 24,000 people died because of that plague, but how many more would have died if, if Phineas wouldn't have picked up a spear and ran? How many more people would have died if he would not have killed those two people so that God wouldn't kill a bunch more? Do you understand? Many were turned, the Bible says there, many were turned from their iniquity and again, it goes back to Phineas being the instrument of saving all these Israelites from being destroyed because he took a stand, because he, because he feared God. 
2 Timothy 2.19 says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So again, what, what do we see here? We see that Phineas was that picture of a person who feared God. How did he fear God? It wasn't just about him. It was all those people that an Israelite and a Midianitish woman were leading astray. And Phineas put his foot down and says, this isn't happening here. And he chases them into a tent. And the Bible says he, he stabs them through their belly and kills them. Why? Because you had two scorners that were trying to lead people astray. And you had one priest that said, we're not doing this. And that priest kept many from iniquity. If you've got a proper fear of God, you ought to want to try to turn people unto righteousness. If you've got a proper fear of God, you ought to want to keep people from going the wrong direction. It's not a matter of pastoring a church. It's a matter of being a people for the Lord that people can see something in your life and you say, okay, we're not going that direction. We're not doing that. Yes, we do it from a home in the leadership of a home of a mom and dad, but Christians do that by taking a stand for God. Church, I want you to notice something here and I'm done. Look at verse number seven. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. Did you notice the very first thing was the truth was in their mouth? But in verse number seven, the priests weren't doing that. What, what did Phineas do? The truth was in his mouth. What did these priests do after the, after the captivity? Verse seven, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the, the law at his, at his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to what? They should have caused many to turn away from iniquity, but guess what they did? They caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. What's the first word in verse 9? All right, because you priests have done this, you've caused many to stumble and you haven't kept the law and you haven't put it in your mouth, you haven't had a proper fear of me. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. In other words, God says, I'm going to punish you. And the reason I'm going to punish you is because you stop fearing me. I want to tell you something, church family. We're living in a day where people don't fear God. There ought to be some Christians that have a God consciousness enough that God says, okay, you keep that up, I'm going to spank you. There ought to be somebody with God conscious enough that when you're convicted and grieved over your sin, that you confess and get it right. You know why? Proper fear of God. Huh. Church family, I don't know what you're thinking tonight, but God knows what you're thinking tonight. If you're thinking about another Christian about how they should get right with God or you're thinking about what you're going to do after the service, can I just tell you, that's not really fearing God. Fear of God is God sees what I, what I do, but he sees what I think. God hears what I say, say, and I want to make sure that I do everything I can to please him because I have a proper awe and respect and fear of him. Amen. Do you have that proper awe and respect and fear of God? You should. A lot of blessings come with it, but I want to tell you more than the blessings got to fear God because he's God and he's the one that saves your soul from hell.